Someone You Should Know, a program about people you know and even more that you don't. Hosted by Stuart Sachs, veteran, husband, father, and grandfather. Now, here's your host, Stuart Sachs. Well, welcome to another edition of Someone You Should Know. Very glad to have you with us today. Uh, we're getting a little bit closer to the holidays now, uh, but uh, we always want to make sure that you are prepared for the season. So we are brought to you today by our good friends over at No Sweat Heating and Air Conditioning. No Sweat Experts. You know, it's getting cold out. You want to make sure you've got a proper transition from the air conditioning system to the heating system. The filters are right. Everything is working because the last thing you need is for the temperatures to plummet and you get left out in the cold. So give them a call. No sweat experts, heating and air conditioning. They'll take good care of you. Well, speaking of the cold, I want to welcome in somebody uh, to share a conversation today who knows a little bit about cold because all the way from Forest Lake, Minnesota is Mike Kading. Hey, thanks for hey, having Mike, me today. How are you doing? Doing really well. <laughs> I'm glad, glad that you're 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 there from from upper upper Minnesota, yeah. <laughs> Very true. In fact, I do know a lot about the cold. I remember one point one of my eyelids froze shut with negative 30 degree temperatures. So it does get cold. No kidding. Really? Your eyelids no uh, froze shut? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'm from I'm from Chicago originally, and I, and I do remember go, going out in the winter sometimes, and and I had a mustache at the time with little icicles hanging from the mustache. Yeah, you know, I was uh, it was the University of Minnesota biking across the Mississippi River. It's about a quarter mile bike ride, and enough wind was blowing across the river. I had a face mask on, and me, my breath was coming up near uh, my eye socket, and would actually little droplets of water would freeze my eyelid shut, my left eyelid shut. It was a crazy adventure, but uh, if you can bear the cold, this is not a bad place to be. And I understand in Minnesota, in that kind of weather, people put on a long sleeve t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, was a joke. And uh, at 30 degrees in Florida, people are like at home sh uh, shriveled up. And in Canada, they're just shutting their bathroom window. <laughs> I mean, now are you you're you're from uh, uh, from Forest Lake uh, originally, born and raised, right in that area. Yeah, yeah. The northern side of the suburbs here was born here, grew up here, went to the University of Minnesota, and then came right back to Forest Lake where we built our business. Well, and and that's what we want to share with with everybody today a, a bit of a conversation about what that business is and and how how you have developed. Uh, the concept of of what we want to wrap our arms around and call affordable housing. Yeah, you know, at a high level, what we're really trying to do is to solve America's housing affordability crisis. But how in the world can you make that a reality? The big challenge is in driving down the cost of construction. We've been achieving typically about a 20 to 30% reduction in those construction costs. But over time, we believe we can achieve a 50% reduction. But imagine what that means. That means someday your rent or your mortgage payment could be half. 
And that's our dream. Well, okay. You know, maybe I'm going to play devil's advocate here because I, I, I think, you know, I'm, we're here in, in uh, Northern Texas and it seems like every time you go to the store for building materials and everything, the prices keep going up and up and up. Is your answer that you are buying in such a high volume that you are able to save on the cost of materials and therefore turn around and, and, and pass some of those savings along to the people that rent the apartments? It's a small piece of it, but the wider issue is if you look at the past 60 years, industries like manufacturing have improved labor productivity by 760%. Agriculture has improved it by 1,500%. But construction, it's done nothing. It's been stuck at the same, about 10% growth over the past 60 years. And so if we can take the lessons and ideas and concepts and innovations that these other industries have discovered and simply simply apply it to the world of construction, we see meaningful improvement. In fact, if construction companies were to make phones, we would still be carrying around a large brick cell phone that could barely get a hold of anyone, right? That's just the world that we've been stuck in with the world of construction, but we're now taking those innovations and applying it to our own. So there, there are like 10,000 little things, but there's a few major innovations that we applied as well. Well, so how did you get involved in this? Did you grow up in the construction uh, industry? I did. So my uh, my parents originally started the business, and it was very small at the time. We only were building four or eight units at a time. But um, growing up, we actually lost everything at one point. In fact, my dad got kidnapped in Peru. Crazy story there. But as I grew up, we built a few more buildings, a few more buildings. I got to learn it. I a lot of sweeping, a lot of pulling nails out of out of uh, studs and just cleaning things up. But I went out to college. And the one thing I knew when I went out to college is that I wanted nothing to do with the family business. And the reason this was is that I didn't want people to think it was given to me. So I really wrestled with my own ego for quite a bit. And my dad really wanted me to join. Eventually, I got past my own ego because what I realized deep down is that I wanted to make some kind of meaningful, positive impact in the world. I said, why not take this small business in the world of housing and make that impact there where I have a little bit of a leg up and making that a reality for the world around us. So that's what I did. I jumped in there and my dad and I doubled the size of the company within the first couple of years. And then one day and unexpectedly, yeah, my dad um, passed away. So overnight I lost this critical figure in my life. And here I am now taking over the entire company at that point. And it was really a challenge. There were some huge hurdles. Yeah. And so then, uh, but since then we've grown. And, and this was just a few, a few years. In yeah. Just a few years in. You said we, when you're, when your father passed away, this was just a few years into your, your partnership with him and working with him. That's right. Yeah. 
he died at a relatively young age. And, you know, really, it reminded me how short life really is and that we only live about 5,000 weeks here on earth. So I often ask myself the question, how do I want to spend the minutes I have here on earth? For me, at least, that's to make that positive impact. So, you know, what you said earlier was the one thing when you went off to college, you were going to say to yourself, I just do not want any part of the family business. And I, I know from where you're talking, because I grew up in, in the, uh, the retail business with my father. And mm. I also did not want to go into retail. I wanted to do my own thing. But many years later, after I got out of the service, it was just a it was just a, a a chance that my dad needed my help in opening another store yeah. for a while. And I agreed I would help him get it off the ground. And then I was going to go off into, I wanted to be in broadcasting. Uh, that was my plan. Well, that lasted 40 years. And I met my wife, we got married, raised children, and spent 40 years in the retail business. So I know a bit about how you're feeling. And now, you know, you at a very young age had to not only, uh, you know, help build that business, but to take charge of that business at a young age. So you, you were wearing multiple hats at the time. Yeah, it was, it was crazy and challenging, you know, I didn't, I didn't even take the title of the president of the CEO for like five years after my dad passed because I honestly didn't feel like I had earned it. And there was a big part of me that, that felt like I maybe wasn't good enough, right? And one of the big challenges there is we were building a building at the time and I went out and we started getting this building built and the city staff actually came in and shut us down twice. The second time they shut us down, they pulled me into their offices and said, Mike, you aren't good enough. You don't have 40 years of experience. You don't know the way things have always been done. You need to then hire someone to take charge of what you're doing. Now, we were shut down and we needed, we had like three days. Otherwise, our staff would be laid off. And so that is no good way to find a top level person. We found someone, snuck him in, right. and that was enough to get past the city. But behind the scenes, we're doing all the work because he is, at this point, more of a figurehead. And I can remember, in fact, just a few weeks before we were supposed to open that building. And there was a thousand-foot-long water main buried 15 feet in the ground. And there was a pressure test on it that told us that somewhere in that water main, there was a pinhole leak, but we had no idea where. And my excavating contractor at the time wanted to leave for another project. And I literally was out there in my nicer clothes from six in the morning till nine at night every day with him in the mud looking for this leak so that he wouldn't leave and that we could actually get this done. And in fact, I remember one day coming home when it was my brother's birthday and I was so beat down all of what was going on that all he wanted to do was sing happy birthday, maybe have a slice of cake. And I couldn't even do that at that point. Anyway, a few, uh, about a few days before we we're supposed to open, the city staff came to me and said, Mike, there is no way you're opening this building. There's no way. And uh, 
we ended up working through the night for multiple days in a row. And the last day, half of this, uh, about a half a dozen city inspectors for a half a day inspection looked at every nook and cranny of that building. At the end of their inspection, the head building official pulled me aside in the parking garage and said to me, Mike, I know we were hard on you, but honestly, looking at this building today, this is the nicest project that we've opened in our city. It's like, finally, right? All of this time feeling like I'm not good enough. I don't know what I'm doing because I didn't. But we figured it out. We pursued through. And at the end, we finally got that information that, yes, maybe we can do this. And so all that time you spent digging in the mud was all worth it. Absolutely. You you learn more about life, about character, about how to execute in business in the mud than you do in some ivory tower. And and would you say would you say that that is the major difference between the large building corporations and the quote unquote mama papa operation? The, because you have hands on control over what's going on rather than you know, delegating authority to a staff of other people. Yeah, it certainly is a key part of it. I think the world of construction is kind of in this mindset of this is the way we've always have done things. You know, my my great granddad did it this way. My granddad did it this way. My dad did it this way. And by golly, I am going to do it this way as well. But that kind of mindset leads to the way things have always been done. But then you don't get innovation, you don't get change, you don't get improvements like you've seen in other industries. And we've got to change that fact. Um, so that's a big piece of it. But yeah, having we do have all of the construction trades, everything related to building a building internal. We've got wall panel manufacturing, precast, concrete manufacturing, all the trades, electrical, plumbing, HVAC. We got architects, we have engineers. This is very atypical. This is not how things are normally done. But by bringing it all under one yeah. roof, then we can start optimizing our systems in a way that other people can't. And so that begins the journey of making meaningful improvement in this space. Is all of the construction that you are doing in the in the uh, immediate area of uh, Forest Lake, Minnesota, or do you cover a, a much broader area? Yeah, we are in... So Forest Lake is a suburb, essentially, of the Minneapolis-St. Paul area of the Twin Cities. So we're in the Minneapolis-St. Paul market. Uh, we are uh, eventually looking to expand beyond that. Our next place we're actually looking toward is the Dallas-Fort Worth area. No kidding. Yeah. That, that, yeah. I, love, I love it. So <laughs> what, is, what is your plan? Because I will tell you that here in North Texas we have exploded in population over over the years uh for instance when my wife and i moved here 10 years ago the population of frisco texas where we live was 75,000 10 years later we're at 230,000 and still growing and a lot of that has become apartment buildings however mm -hmm. the caveat to that is this has created jobs we've had corporations move here uh, we've our our hospitality industry has exploded but all of those need people to work 
but the rents in some of these apartment buildings are such that the people that we really need right here in town have to travel an hour to get here because they, they can't afford to live here. So what is your equation for saying we're going to build build buildings and apartments and all that people can afford to live in? That is such a great question. So step one is lowering those construction costs. But then step two is about scaling production, which is incredibly hard. Elon Musk talks about how it's hard to build a car, but it is 10 to 100 to 1,000 times harder to build the system that builds that car. And for us, that's what we're working to do is building that system to produce uh, quite a bit, a much larger uh, throughput of apartments and housing uh, construction. And so... Our dream is to scale production to the point that we're producing so many homes in a marketplace that because of the abundance of supply, that costs start coming down naturally and not just for our own residents. It would be everyone within that area that we are constructing buildings. Now, the reason you don't see that in today's market is simply, again, because the core construction costs are too high. And so they can't produce beyond a certain point because the costs are too high. But if we can reduce the costs lower, then we can produce at a much higher volume than others can. You mentioned earlier uh, one of the buildings that you were working on with your dad before he passed away. Uh, I, I think you said it was, uh, I don't remember how many units, didn't sound like it was a very, very big, large building. How has that progressed over the years when you uh, set out to build a building now, you're talking about how many units? Yeah. So when my family started originally, it was just a couple of units at a time. Uh, we are now building about 350 units per building. So it's way bigger. These are giant buildings. Wow. And one of the newest so, properties so, that, you know, the, the cost per unit uh, is, is Go, go ahead. Keep going. Yeah, so one of our newest projects is called Norhart Oakdale. It's at the intersection of 94 and 694. Anyway, major intersection here in the Twin Cities. Really new up-and-coming quality neighborhood. Great amenities. There's Top Golf nearby. There's just incredible commercial restaurants and all of that. The building itself has a two-story main entrance. It's the entire width of the building with 22-foot-high ceilings, a restaurant, coffee shop, Inside the building, we have thousands of square feet of amenity space. Right at the front door, there's a brand new transit line that stops at our front door. Up on the roof, we have a rooftop wow. patio and grill. We have penthouse suites with views of downtown. It's, it is incredible to see what the team is able to produce. Now, how is Mike Kading involved in that design and architecture and layout and, and working to get the railroad to stop at your front door? How much of that responsibility falls on your shoulders? The great thing is we have an amazing team. We fight really hard to find world-class people. And I mean really that kind of level. Where we, we'll fly people in from other states to come work during the week and we'll fly them home on the weekend. Uh, it's that caliber. When you bring that caliber of people together, they unlock doors. They make your life so much easier. And it's not easy. It's You take on bigger challenges yourself. But because I've got such a strong team, I don't have to be as involved in those details anymore. Now, 
the earlier projects, yeah, I was out there. I, I was, I would be part of the drafting team, literally helping draft up the plan so we could optimize and reduce our costs. I was on site um, for many of the projects, helping like coordinate new plumbing work that we were doing or coordinating the, the, the construction or negotiating out bids with contractors. Most of my time now is focused on things like raising capital or building our brand or connecting uh, with people like you and, and wider audiences across the nation. Um, and that's kind of how my role has changed with time. Well, folks, you know, it, it's been scrolling across the bottom of the screen. Uh, Norhart.com is the, is the website. And I invite you to, to visit it, look at the kind of, of uh, construction and all that, that uh, Mike and his, his people are doing, because it's, it's incredible that you have really taken something that the layperson would probably think is so complex uh, and and difficult to do, and you are trying to get this down to a science of saying once we do one building, now we've got a, a foundation for the next building and the third building and the fourth building. So are are each building that you're doing the same footprint or are you changing it up so that each new building is different from the previous building? Yeah. So one of the concepts we're employing is if you look at the world of hotels, you have a similar brand. You might know Hilton or the Four Seasons or whatever hotel that is that you like. And in the world of apartments, it tends to be a different brand per apartment. So you might have Cedarwood apartments or Northbrook apartments or what have you. So one of the things we've switched over to now is we have much more of a consistent brand. So it's Norhart Oakdale, Norhart Cottage Grove, Norhart Ramsey, right? And those are the different projects we have. So there, there is a similar look and feel and kind of quality you can come to expect within the different properties. Um, but with that said, they're not the same building over and over again. In fact, you wouldn't want to do that if you're trying to optimize for cost for one simple reason. Each lot is quite a bit different. And so what you can do to optimize between those two factors is by starting to think about how you design buildings. And so we, there's certain constraints that we put on ourselves, like the certain shapes of units or the depth of a unit um, that don't constrain us too much when it comes to laying out a site on a, on a particular site. But what it does do is it allows us to optimize exactly the length of that truss. And we can do a dissertation with our engineers to figure out what is the most efficient 28 foot long truss for our situation, right? But if we were thinking about 20 different kinds of trusses, it's hard to optimize for any one. So yes, there's variation, but you can kind of think of it more like a kit of parts. There's different components we optimize for, and then we allow for mixing and matching those parts per site. It's interesting that you say that that depending on the community that the building is going into, that's how you may alter the, the design. Mm -hmm. I'm a little bit familiar with the Minneapolis area, and I know that your your malls in the Minneapolis area is Northdale, Southdale, Westdale, Eastdale, <laughs> so, something Dale. And, and each one is different, but it's the same concept. Yeah. Yep, kind of a similar structure to that. In fact, I think, I don't know if this is true, I think Minnesota had the first shopping mall. Was it South there, I want to say? 
but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And of course, you got the Mall of the Americas, which is one of the largest in the country. Yeah, I think it is the largest in the country. It's maybe like, so, it used to be the largest I'm, in the I want to ask you a question. Anymore. Uh, what is your definition of affordable housing? Such a good question. Because in the world, we typically don't say we're affordable housing for a very intentional reason. Because a lot of people equate affordable housing to low quality housing. And the other thing is that we don't right. artificially lower our rents today. We charge fair market prices for the rents for our properties. Our goal is not traditional affordable housing. Our goal is to make housing affordable and not just for our own residents, for everyone in the communities that we build with them, which is why we take the approach of reducing that cost and then scaling up production to make it available to everyone. Um, so ultimately, I don't want to get it to a point that your housing bill price isn't raising three or 10% per year, that it actually becomes a relatively small part of your expense, that you're thinking about housing in the same way that you're thinking about maybe groceries. You know, it's a part of your bill, but it's not a massive part. You know, a couple hundred years ago, it used to be that your clothing was a very substantial part of your expense. And today right. we don't, I mean, sure, you can buy expensive brands, but if you wanted to stay cheap, you can get all the decent clothing you want for a very small part of your overall cost. But how do they do that? They did it by improving efficiency and scaling up production. That's what we want to do with housing. That's how we want to make housing affordable. Do you, because you are in this business, and I'm, I'm fascinated with what you're doing, Mike, because you, you just have, have a focus on the on this market and, and your sole focus is to do, make a quality product for the people that are going to be living in your buildings and and that that is very admirable so would you would you put the the label entrepreneur on yourself would you consider yourself an entrepreneur because of what you're doing yeah i think so i think I think I don't always think about it in those terms. It really comes back to my dad in some ways. Because he died so young, it just really reminded me how short life is. And for me, I don't want to waste this life. For some people, that is, they want to live a very comfortable yeah. life, maybe taking a lot of vacations, relaxing on the beach. That's awesome. For me, I'm wired a little bit differently. I want to make an impact by improving the lives of as many people in the world that I can. And so for me, I'm willing to work the long hours and pour a lot of time and energy into solving a very challenging problem because for me, that's a life well lived. Now, do you, have you, uh, in your construction company uh, and all, uh, do you try to work with the same people or do you have a core of of people that you work with and then you sub out a lot of the other work yeah so this is one of the keys to improving the costs so typically in the world of construction it's very segmented you have a different company installing installing the plumbing a different company installing the electrical a different company coordinating construction a different company doing supply chain we have brought virtually all of that under one roof 
So every single person is basically one of our employees. Now, if you imagine for a moment, if a construction company were to produce cars, you'd have a different company installing the windshield, a different company installing the door, and a different company installing the wheel. And of course, the wheel company, they would call you up and say, hey, I am so sorry. I got delayed on another project. And now because of that, I can't get out there for two weeks. Your line would be shut down. And in the world of manufacturing, they look at us and laugh and say, this is crazy. But for us, this is the way we've always have done it. So we brought all that work under one roof. And once we did that, we could apply some crazy innovative techniques like the assembly line, right? Okay, not that innovative, but it had made a major impact in the world of manufacturing. So we, what we did is you look at a building and you think, well, I can't take a building and drive it down a line. It's, that's right, it's just too big. But what you can do is you can take the person and move them through the building. And so right now within our, in our teams, it's about every five hours, each team shifts through the building by one unit. And just that one technique alone might take a project that might take 15 months and drives it down to nine. But the reality is there's 10,000 little techniques like that when brought together that you get to see the meaningful impact. It, it makes total sense. And yet there's so many con construction companies out there that just don't get it. And like you said, the, the drywall people can't, can't do their, they're ready to do their job, but they can't do it because the electrical people haven't done, finished their job or the plumbing people haven't come through and done their job. So they can't close up the walls until the, it's, it's ready to go. So it's like a domino effect that one up when you're, when you're depending on other people, when you've got a team like this, it's, it's like a team out on a football field. They're anticipating what each other is going to do and support each other in doing that to move it forward. Am I correct? That's exactly right. And what's amazing is when you bring together such a high caliber, high quality team, it becomes so much fun working together to solve these issues. Now, there are tons of issues. Like, again, this is an, it's insanely hard. And I should be fair to other construction companies. It's not always that they don't get it. It's that they understand how hard it is. In particular, by bringing all the trades under one roof, now you've got to have constant projects lined up. And this is a very capital-intensive industry. And so even if your project is substantially profitable because you're low cost, you still have to be able to raise enough capital to make the whole pipeline and machine run effectively. Otherwise, people's jobs are at risk. And so I had uh, one other developer uh, I met with just two days ago, and he looked me in the eye after hearing all of this. I said, that, dude, you, like, I, I don't know how you put it. Like, I don't know how you can do this and still sleep at night, right? He understands the pain and the struggle to make all of it a reality, but it's what we're trying to accomplish. Now, do you, do you, you know, keep your playbook, if you will, kind of close to the vest? Or do you feel that some of the things that you have developed, you are in a position to maybe offer on a broader scale across the country to other construction companies, say, of your same size to say, here, here's how we do it here. Uh, maybe you can 
do the same thing out in Oregon or in, uh, uh, you know, in Nebraska or wherever, that what you're doing is something that can be learned and taught and carried on by, by other companies. Yeah, we're very open. So we're on podcasts like this on a regular basis. And some of the podcasts go really deep into the very different ways that we save money. Uh, and so we share all of that. We meet up with uh, contractors. Like I just mentioned this last week that we met with someone. Um, and so we're very supportive of, because we just want to solve housing affordability. And so if I can give you all the information, go do it yourself as well. The thing that we have found is that the ideas are actually quite simple and quite easy. It's the execution yeah. of those ideas, which is horribly hard. And so that's that's the challenge. I can tell you all the secrets and it's not, a, not an issue, but for you to actually go make that a reality, it's very hard. Well, visit uh, norhart.com and you can see what some of those challenges are and how uh, Mike and his people uh, make it into a reality. You have been doing this now for how long, Mike? Boy, uh, 14 years. 14 years. Okay. So in the beginning, 14 years ago, it was one building every uh, so please. how many how many months? And then tell me where you were uh, five years later. And yeah, so when we so when I started full time, um we were building around eight units a year, not very many. Uh, and now we are building not quite to 500, 500 sort of the goal that we're trying to achieve right now. And so that we doubled in size for the first few years, we paused a little bit, and then uh, we've been doubling in size the last few years. Um, it's slowed a little bit right now, given the cost of capital rising, but, um, but yeah, it's been growing quite rapidly over time. Well, then that would lead me into my next question is, how has the issue of financing each of these projects changed over the 14 years? And what are the challenges that you may see today going forward? Yeah, it's changed a lot. So the up till about a couple, about a year ago, actually, our costs were low enough in such a way, let's say we were building a $100 million building. Our costs on that project might be $70 million. The bank would offer us 70 or $75 million to complete that building because they want to be 75% of value of the project when it's done. There's some technical details there that I'm skipping over, but, um, right. but basically we could fund all of our projects simply with bank financing. It was incredible. And there was no other developers that I know that were even touching that kind of uh, structure. Now in the last year, the interest rates have risen. What this has done is main banks a little bit more skittish. They're now not offering 70 or 75 million. They're offering 55 million. So what's happening for other developers is that they can't make the deals pencil. Or what that means is they can't make it make sense financially. And so in Minnesota, we're actually seeing a drop of 90% of new multifamily starts here in Minnesota. I think nationwide, it's something like a 70% drop over the past year. So we don't, you know, the public doesn't even know about it yet because it hasn't really hit. But in the coming years, as as the current buildings under construction finish, there isn't new backlog coming behind that. 
So we might see actually a rise in rental costs as a result. Anyway, so we're seeing that drop. What's happened for us is we can no longer raise capital the way we did with only bank financing. We now have to go to more traditional methods of raising capital from investors as well as banks. And it still pencils, it still makes sense for us financially. We're just having to learn a whole new skill set of raising that capital. But that's been really exciting too because we looked at capital raising and we said, how is everyone doing it? Most people were raising capital from high net worth individuals, which is great, but they're, the vast majority of America don't fit into accredited investor. And so most Americans didn't get access to the kind of returns and stuff that you can get from these re, uh, real estate investments. We went a different approach. We went and got approval through the SEC. It took a year using a Reg A. What that allows us to do is now anyone nationwide can invest in what we're doing. And so we launched a new platform called Norhart Invest. It offers right now up to 10% interest on your money. And that's backed by our company. And uh, yeah, it's a, it feels a, it's a very simple to use online platform. You can log in, you can invest, you can even uh, put some of your retirement. We have an, uh, an IRA structure that you can use to, to gain the tax benefits as well. But what's really interesting is if you look at the S&P 500 and you plot that out against a consistent rate of return of 10%, the 10% rate of return crushes the S&P 500. A lot of people think that S&P 500 returns like an 8 or 9% rate of return. But the thing is, that's an average rate of return. If you're actually looking at the real rate of return going on, it's much less because of the volatility in that market. And so what's so exciting about this is you get more consistent returns and a better rate of return than you can typically get from the stock market. So that's been really fun to provide to the market and seeing people take advantage of that. Yeah, so uh, is is uh, Norhart Invest a completely separate company uh, in all, or is that something that people that go to your website can learn about and then and then take it a step further if they want to get more information? Yeah, so legally speaking, we're we're a uh, we've got about twenty five different companies that are under one roof, but the entire organization is simply Norhart. And so if you go to our website, click on invest, you'll learn more about Norhart Invest uh, on that page. Folks, th there's an opportunity there. And for those of us that are here in nor northern Texas and all, I can't wait for Norhart to, to start some production down here in Texas. I think it'll be a big boom for, and it'll, it'll, it'll really open up the doors for, for building affordable housing uh, you know, for the market too. Uh, Mike, you've got a great, a great foundation. You've got a great plan. You've got a great mind. You obviously have great people uh, and all. And, you know, for somebody at a young, at a young age, really, you've, you've got your, you got your ducks in a row. And I, and I, I commend you on that because it's not an easy process to come up with a, with a game plan and a mission and then focus on taking that mission and moving it forward. Yeah, it's it's a big challenge, but again, it's it's what I live for. And you, you you've got a family too. Are they involved in the business too? 
Yeah, my parents. So my parents originally started the business. My mom uh, is involved, I would say, just as an investor at this stage. And my brother is basically just an investor as well. For the most part, it's uh, myself and then our, our company. My wife was quite involved for a number of years, but she's now pulled back to, to focus on the kids. Well, I, I again, I commend you on what you are doing uh, and all. And I hope that people that are watching this show will maybe have an opportunity to say, you know, maybe this is an, an investment opportunity that I want to look into uh, a little uh, a little clo more closely and all. Mike, thank you very, very much. I end my show each week by saying, be yourself because everyone else is already taken. And I think that you have been successful at doing that. And I thank you very, very much. That'll do it for another edition of Someone You Should Know and go out and make it a great day. And again, thank you. Thank you very much to Mike Kading of Norhart.com. Thanks for having me. Someone you should know. You should know.